My name is Todd Berkey, as Matt told you. Uh, I am the director of Young Adults Ministry here at Grace Bible Church. Uh, some of you may not know that Grace Bible Church has a ministry that's geared directly towards single grad students and young professionals in the area, but we do, and God is doing incredible things in that ministry. One of the things uh, I want to let you know is I might say tonight instead of this morning because normally Thursday nights is when we meet with our large group gathering called Junction. And that's usually where I'm teaching. And it's interesting. One of the things that I just really want us to highlight this morning is at Junction, that, that community that's built there, about half of the young adults who come there attend one of the three Grace campuses. Now, the other half, some attend other churches, but there's others who don't attend any church at all. And they show up, and I don't know about you, but my wife and I, we love to get to know all people, but especially them, because we're like, why are you here? And now, we don't ask them that question mean, like, why are you here? But we're just curious, you know, like, why? When your life has had no, like, evidence that you want to pursue God, and you're not really, like, tuned into anything spiritual, why tonight? Why this place? What's going on? And it's interesting. What they tell us is, you know, Todd, uh, we're here because we've been bamboozled by life. Okay, they don't use the word bamboozled. So if you're trying to, like, figure out ways to, like, how do I get in with the millennials, bamboozled is not the word to lead with, okay? But, but essentially what they say is, 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 man, we feel like the world around us has said, if we have this thing, if we achieve this success, if we, if we get this accolade, when we have that, then, then the brokenness within will be fixed. Then I'll have significance. Then I'll have purpose. But what I found, Todd, is not true. And so I'm here and I'm wondering, is Jesus any different? Is there hope and is there healing with him? And, and if so, what does it practically look like to follow him? Now, those aren't their exact words, but that's the cry of their heart. And I love those conversations because, A, I know that, yes, Jesus brings hope. Jesus brings healing. He brings transformation and liberation from things that so easily entangle us. But I also know I have a me too moment with them, that I get it. I understand what it's like to chase after an idol. I understand what it's like to say, hey, if I just had that one thing, then maybe there's life. And to know that disappointment that happens when I get a hold of it. As a matter of fact, I remember the very first time that I consciously remember this, I was in the first grade. I know, way back when. And I was watching cartoons on Saturday morning, and I was watching commercials because you had to. There was no Netflix. There was no DVR. You had to endure through these commercials. This commercial comes on for Zip's shoes, and my life was forever changed. This child put on Zip's shoes, and he began to just beam with joy. And as he went outside quickly, as he ran outside, the whole neighborhood just descended upon him like, Wow, you've got Zip's shoes! And he's running fast, even with the uh, logo, or not logos, but sound effects. And at the end of the commercial, the Zip's logo was just a Z. And what they would do is they would show his feet, and he would go back and forth with his feet, just kind of to the top and the bottom of the Z, and then with like Zorro-like flair, he'd go, Phew! And make the Z. I'm like, wow. And so when my shoes, when they wore out and mom took me to get a new pair, what did I get? Zips. And I came out of the store sporting my new kicks. Chest is out. Head is up. Come out of the store. And I fully expected that downtown Ames, Iowa, all doors would open. People would pour out and say, wow, you've arrived. And you know what didn't happen? 
And I thought, well, maybe they just make me run faster than once they see the speed then. And I took off running, and I was like, this is really the same speed. And there was just disappointment because it didn't give the life that was promised. And I wish that I could stand here and tell you that, man, after the first grade and after that one experience, I gave up. I never again went after that. But that's not true. Fast forward to the end of college for me. A friend of mine's taking me for a ride in a Honda Del Sol, a little two-seater sports car. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, wow, this is a sweet car. And they're at the same stage of life as I am. How did they have that? I wish I had that. I wish that somebody else would feel the way that I feel about this person. And the only way to get other people to make me feel that way about this person is to get a Honda Del Sol. So I graduated, got my job. I was working up in the uh, House of Representatives in Lansing, Michigan. And uh, found my Del Sol in Memphis, Tennessee, where my parents lived. Negotiated over the phone. And my parents said, hey, we'll meet you halfway. Um, We'll come to St. Louis. You can fly down and then drive back. And so I flew down, arrived, got my keys. Chest out, head up. I've arrived. Hopped in my car and I'm driving back to Lansing, Michigan. And I got a few miles outside of St. Louis, Missouri. And the craziest thing happened. I was like, this road trip is not going any faster than when it's gone before. It's not any smoother than what it was before. And my goodness, if I want to take more than one person with me, where am I going to put them? If I want to haul something, you know, larger than a lawn chair, I can't do it. And for the first time in my life, I'm in debt. All, big time debt, all because of this car that somebody might envy me. And yet here I am, and I had to literally pull off to the side of the road and have like a minor panic attack because I'm like, what have I done with my life? I have been bamboozled. I imagine that I'm not the only one here. I, am, I know I'm not because some of the young adults that I've had conversations are here. But we've all experienced in that. You know, the world says, have this, and if you have it, then this, we get it, and there's great disappointment. So when I'm having these conversations with these, what are you doing here, people? I love it because God's word speaks right into this. I love that, that God's word, the incredible thing is whatever we're walking through, however we're feeling, really, you can find somebody that you can identify with amazingly well in here. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the rich young ruler. And we're going to be in Luke 18, but we're also going to be in Matthew and in Mark. And so, but well, let's just read from Luke 18 here. I've got it on the screen that I will read so I keep up with you. It says, a ruler questioned him, that being Jesus, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. (laughs) Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. I'm really liking that one as a parent. Like we come to that one all the time. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. And then Jesus, when Jesus heard this, he said, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor. and, and, And you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. And so... What I want us to do, we're going to walk through this, and we're going to make three stops this evening. We're going to look at the man, or this evening, this morning. And we're going to look at the man and his problem. We're going to look at the solution that Jesus provides, and then also the response. And, and this, honestly, is, I think, one of the most tragic stories in all of Scripture. 
Because the summary, again, if we were just to back up, you, you realize here's a man who has everything. And he's also realized the system is broke. Having things doesn't complete him. And that drove him to become desperate, just like the people who I'm sitting there talking to. And they're wanting Jesus as their hope there, just like the people who I'm sitting there with. And I'm like, this is you. What happens next, though, is it your story or is it not? So let's look here, and we're going to move quickly. Let's look at the man. The first thing is rich. He's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. And you're like, wow, Todd, that was incredible scholarship. Because right here in my Bible, it's subtitled Rich, Young, Ruler. But it's interesting that to see how the synoptic gospel, gospels work together. Matthew, Mark, and Luke looking at the event, same events from, from different vantage points. None of them will give him all three of these characteristics. You have to piece together from one place to the other to find out that this man is rich. That he is young. And that he is indeed a ruler. And, and I, we're going to move quickly through a bit. You just need to know, he has it. Everything that these young adults, everything that I and everything that you are chasing, all of this stuff that you think will complete you, he had it. He's holding on to it, and so he knows whether or not this stuff actually works. We would envy him. He would be living in the house that we would desire to live in. His donkeys, we'd be like, wow, I wish I could ride those things. They're amazing. We just need to understand this guy has everything that we aspire to have, things that we think there's life in. But the other thing is, this guy, he's, he's a nice guy. He's kind to others. You know, Jesus, when he's talking to him there, he says, oh, man, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus doesn't go back and say, uh-uh. Jesus doesn't argue with him on this point. He kind of gives that to him. So you've got this guy who has all the stuff that we look at and say, wow, I would have life, I would have purpose, I'd have significance if I just had those things, whatever those things are, he had, and on top of it, he was a nice guy. We'd want to hang around him because he would always treat us with respect. And so we're sitting there going, huh, if ever there's a person who being just a good person and having all the right stuff could produce life, significance, and purpose, this was the man. And yet, he's here talking to Jesus. One other thing I want us to, to look at about the man is he had really flawed logic. His thinking was, was off. And, and you see it right here in 18, 18, 18. It says, A ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Do you see the flaw in logic? I mean, the, the first thing that you notice is, I don't know about you, but inheritance usually follow family. And so unless you were born into that family, uh, inheritance don't naturally go that way, which is awesome because, you know, Jesus wants us all to come and be born again, to trust in him, to have a new life, to be born into his family. So his logic is a little flawed in, 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 the, in the question, but the second thing is, what must I do? What must I do? He, he's sitting there, and what he's doing, he's applying the world's logic to God. He's thinking that God operates the same way that we do here. Because here, when we want something, we work hard. We work those extra hours to get the overtime so that we can have whatever it is that's going to give us life, and then we realize it doesn't really give us life, and then we're depressed, but then we work harder to get something else, and around and around the cycle goes. 
And so he's thinking God must certainly work the same way. What, how much harder do I have to work to be accepted? It's incredible. God does not work that way. His ways are higher than our ways. He's not a man that he should lie. He's, he, he works in a different way. It's by grace and grace alone that you or I can be saved. That logic just, just it stops so many people. Years ago, I was back up in Michigan. I was in between uh, semesters of, of Bible school, and as I was living there, uh, I had a temporary roommate. His name was Jim, and, and Jim was an awesome, nice guy. And we were talking one night, and as, as we were talking, it just kind of came out that, you know, my life, I've made a mess of it. I've chased all these things. I've, I've had these jobs, but I've really, I've, I've, I've hurt people along the way. I've, I've just made big mistakes. It's just, life is just not, not good. None of it paid off to have great stuff unfold in my life. And so we started talking about Jesus. And he says, yeah, I know I need to be made right with God. I know it. But first, I need to go get cleaned up. I need to make better decisions. I need to go apologize to all the people that I have hurt in the past. I need to go make amends for my mistakes because that's what you do in the world, right? You offend somebody. You work really, really, really hard to make it up to them, and hopefully they'll forgive you. And that was his approach. And I'm like, dude, Jim, listen. I got good or bad news, however you want to look at it. But uh, Isaiah tells us in 64.6 that our best deeds, our most righteous deeds are but filthy rags. And so even your greatest deed is not going to impress God one iota. It's not going to move and say, well, now, because you've done this, now you can come into my family. That's not at all how God's logic works. He realized that we were all hosed. We stood no chance, and that is why he sent his son. And it is only by believing in him, not by works, so that no man may boast, only by believing in him and what he has done can we receive eternal life. Can we be reconciled? Can we be brought back into this right relationship with God that you're longing for? Well, Todd, that's all fine and dandy, he says, but I, I, I just, I'll get there after I've cleaned up my act so then he can accept me. And around and around and around we went. It blew his mind. Grace, it can't be that easy. It couldn't be that simple. I have to do something. We see it oftentimes that people then just, it doesn't compute. They don't know how to respond to this and it confuses and, and, and they walk away because certainly I have to work harder for things. It at times prevents people from coming into uh, an amazing relationship with Jesus Christ. But you know, even after we've stepped into his family, how many times do, do we fall victim to this of thinking, man, I really want God to do this in my life, so I'm going to pray extra hard. I'm going to show up to church extra early and help volunteer. I'm going to take an extra three minutes in my quiet time. I'm going to listen to Christian music. I'm going to start doing all of these things, and God's going to be really impressed by what I'm doing. Then he has to give me this only to be disappointed because, again, we at times approach God with our own logic and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And the longer that we say, no, God, I'm going to tell you how everything goes, the more and more frustration that we're going to have. And we see exactly that happens in this man's life. His flawed logic leads him to this point of he was incredibly desperate. Incredibly desperate. In, in the account in Mark chapter 10, 17, it starts off and it says this. He says, and he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, and a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He ran, he knelt, and he asked. Now, keep this in mind, he's really rich. He's a ruler. He has authority. 
Rich people don't run. The party starts when they get there. It's not a very socially acceptable thing to be seeing that. And kneeling, people kneel before him. He's kneeling before Jesus. And asking, everybody else is going, I want what you have. How do I get it? And he's saying, huh, no, how do I get something different, Jesus? You see through these three actions that he's just bucking the social norm to say, there is desperation in me. (laughs) The stuff of the world is not working. Jesus, help. So you see that he's desperate in that, but you also see that he's actually desperate in the question that he asked Jesus. So this one, you'd have to move over. It's on the reference here in Matthew 19, 20. But as you get there, Jesus again says, you know, these are the commandments you need to keep. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. He goes on and on and on. And the young man said to him, all of these I have kept. And then here's this question. What am I still lacking? I mean, you can, you can hear it. <laughs> you know, Jesus, I've done all the things you're telling me to do. What am I still lacking? There's desperation in the man. And the third thing that we can look at and see that this dude is absolutely desperate is in who does he approach? See, much of the the thinking back in the day, because we don't think this way anymore, but back in the day was if you love God really, really, really well, God then will give you riches, he will give you health, he will give you security, And if you don't love God very, very well, he will give you disease, he will take your money, he will take your property. And so what they would do is they would then say, well, we can't see your heart, but we will switch these things around. So those who have the wealth, they're the ones who know how to love God really well. And those who don't have the wealth, well, they don't really know how to love God apparently really, really well. We don't ever think that way. We don't only look, we don't don't sit there and say, hey, we're going to chase those who are rich and wealthy. We don't say, I want my lives to look like that, right? We, We don't do that. Now, it still exists. I at times still fall victim of that. But you have this wealthy guy running after who? Jesus. And we're here at church. We're like, well, that's exactly where he's supposed to go. Duh. But stop for a moment and think. Jesus, how much property did he own? None. Was he like flashing, you know, several different credit cards and like look at the, the gold nuggets I have? Like, no. He was poor. He was hanging out with the outcast and the sinners. The rulers of the day, they didn't like him. I mean, this is not the guy that you want to run and seek out. You don't want to be associated with him. Yes, there are miracles that are going on and people were curious. But when you look just specifically at he's basically homeless, no property, no money, hanging out with the wrong people and despised by the leaders, why would somebody who has it all want to go and ask that person? Because he's desperate. And that's where... When we're talking with these people who, you know, why are you here? They can relate. They're like, I'm desperate too. We talk with people who are in the church as well. And their flawed logic of trying to earn things from God, of trying to just be like, if I just have to hold everything together, and if I just hold everything together, then God has to give me this. He has to do this. He has to do this. And they're exhausted thinking that the reason that I have this sickness or the reason that this is not working how I want my life is because I've probably offended God. And so they're they're just, they're working to perform for God and they are exhausted. And they need liberation because again, they're approaching God with man's logic and not how God actually operates. And my question when I bump into those people is like, man, have you had enough? Have, Have you had enough? Of, of chasing after these things that you think are going to have life only to be disappointed. 
Have you gone through that cycle enough times, or do you need another round to truly be desperate enough to have our ears open to really meet with Jesus? I hope that you've had enough. I hope that we're ready to sit and like, okay, I'm ready. What's the solution? But maybe we're here when that's not where we are. Many times these young adults are, why are you here? Those young adults, they're not quite ready. They come for one or two times, and they're like, wow, this community is really great. People love me really well. It fills up, makes me feel important for just a brief moment, and then they wander away. And we usually see them about eight to ten weeks later after they've realized another failure, another failure, another failure, and then they come back. They're just not quite desperate enough yet to really encounter Jesus. So this man... Rich, he's got it all. He's a good guy. If anybody should enjoy the the goodness of life, it's him. And yet he's incredibly desperate because he has this incredibly wrong logic. But let's look at the, the actual problem here. He's realized that being a good person and having stuff doesn't fix us. He's realized that. He's realized that the system is wrong. All that everybody else is listening to and pursuing, he knows it doesn't work. And so now we need to move on here. To the solution. And this is not going to surprise you. The solution is Jesus. That's, that's, I, Thursday nights, I, people give me a hard time. I do voices sometimes. And so whenever we have the right church answer, I'm like, it's Jesus. Because that's how everybody always talks. And really, we don't talk like that. But th- so people think that way. But the answer, the solution is Jesus. We know that. Jesus is, is, the, is the opposite of pursuing the things of the earth. He is the way of escape. And so because of that, we need to know what can we learn about the solution? What can we learn about Jesus in this passage? Will it wow us? Will it move us to a place where we're like, oh my goodness, God, how great thou art. Or will it leave us like, mm, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, knew that one too. <laughs> God, you're not very creative at all. Let's look at three things I want to say. We're going to, again, move quickly through here. The first thing that we learn about Jesus is that he is God. See, the man runs up to him and says, "Uh, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. If you've heard anybody teach on this, you'll hear, more than likely you'll hear, this is not Jesus saying, Hey, why do you call me good? Because I'm not good. Hey, oh, only God is good. That's not me. No, it's Jesus saying, um, do you realize what you've just said? You've spoken correctly, but do you get it? You've come to me. You've called me God. Do you understand? You are acknowledging who I am. Because if you do, when I speak, you might want to listen. Jesus here is fully embracing that he is fully God. And we could spend a long time about how awesome and incredible that is, but we're going to move on because I'm still thinking about that. What are you doing here, guy or girl, in the young adult ministry? Jesus is gathered. Okay, that's fine. We move on to the next thing here. Jesus is never too busy to listen. In Mark 10, 17, when you flip back there again, Jesus is preparing to go on a journey. That's when the young man comes running, kneeling, and asking. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I like schedules. I like plans. And if you want to talk to me about some deep theological issue or you want to come in for life counseling, if I have my plane ticket to dis- be, um, disembark at 
Hobby Airport, I'm going to be there. Five minutes before the gate leaves is not the time to have that conversation with me. I'll be like, mm, no, mm, no, mm, no, mm, no. Now, I realize that Jesus is not down at Hobby Airport. I understand that he doesn't have his ticket. I, I know that maybe there's some more flexibility there, but he's preparing to leave. That's what, okay, we're getting ready to go for a journey. And in the middle of this, this desperate man comes, and what does Jesus do? Oh, man, I wish you were here five minutes ago. Had you been here five minutes ago, we could have talked, but we're all leaving. No. No, he stops and engages with the man. And this, to me, is incredible. It's mind-blowing. It may not be mind-blowing to you. See, many of us, like myself, I grew up in a home where I had a dad and a mom who would, if I had a question, they would stop what they're doing. They would engage with me. I knew that I was valuable. I knew that I was supported. I knew that I was loved. But you realize, most of the world, it's not uncommon for people to have a dad who is more consumed with their own hobbies, their own business success. They want to do their own thing, and children are just in the way. There are, there are parents who say, I don't even want my child. And so many people grow up, and they're sitting there like, does anybody even care? Nobody has ever had any time for me at all. And here Jesus is. He's saying, I have time for you, morning, noon, or night. I'm here for you. And for these, what are you doing here? People, they're like, wait, What? I have value. I have significance. Are you kidding me? I, it challenges me when I think about that. We call God our Father, and, and we naturally look to our earthly fathers for what does that mean. And now as a dad, that puts some pressure. I feel some pressure on me. Is how I'm living, is it imaging God well? Am I available for my children, or am I just too distracted by work? Am I too distracted after my own hobbies? Are, are home projects more important than them? Am I willing to speak truth to them? There's a huge pressure on me. We need to understand that many people, they've grown up not feeling valued, not feeling important. And when they see that Jesus, in the middle of a chaotic time of a, of a trip, is willing to stop and engage, it tells them a tremendous thing about who this Jesus is, that he values them. He loves them. He's never too busy, and it blows their mind. Does it, does it blow your mind? The fact that you can right now talk to him and he hears, that you can get in your car when you leave and you can talk to him and he hears, that you can wake up at three in the morning and pour your heart out with whatever fears and anxieties that you have, and that he hears. He's not like, hey, there are billions of people. Uh, I'll put you on hold. That doesn't happen with him. He is always there. This is an incredible thing. And for those who are like, man, tell me about this Jesus. Is there hope? Yes. He values you greatly. Another thing we can learn about Jesus here is that he loves. This is incredible. In, in Mark, and you're like, yeah, we know these things, Todd. But think about this. The young man said to him in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 20, the young man said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. And then 21, Mark 10, 21 Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. This blows my mind. This man who has spent his life pursuing only what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, who has ignored, really, Jesus. I'm going to be good because that's what I'm supposed to be. This man who is going to ultimately say that money is more important than you, Jesus, he loves. 
That's incredible. That's something we don't see modeled very often in our world today, do we? We see a love that like, hey, oh, you're going to choose your other friends over me, then we can't hang out anymore. We see distance that's there. We don't see somebody saying, oh, you chose other friends other than me. Man, I still love you. We, we see marriages that fall apart because people say, oh, I'm not going to, I just, this can't work anymore. It's just too hard. You're too difficult to be with. And so children sit there and they watch their families just blow up. And they're like, man, I've never seen love that somebody who says, I'm not going to love you, that the other person says, no, I'm determined to love you. And so these men and these women who have been living in active rebellion to God when they're coming up towards us and saying, yeah, this is what my life has looked like. This is what my life has looked like. And we're like, there's no way that Jesus could love you, right? No, no, he absolutely does love you. Look at this, this guy who's going to not choose to follow Jesus, who's going to totally ignore Jesus' advice. Jesus knows that, looks at him and says, I love you. And I don't care what you have done. I don't care what you are doing. And I don't care really what you will do. You need to know that Jesus absolutely loves you passionately. And that is incredible. That is different than the stuff of the world. And yet, I find sometimes for me, and maybe this is just me because I was raised in the church, sometimes it's very easy to go, yeah, he listens. Yeah, he loves. And I was so thankful. Yesterday, I went for a walk and I was coming back and I was just thinking about the fact that this guy is going to, to choose his idol over Jesus, and yet Jesus still loves him. And I'm not a real emotional guy, but tears just started flowing because I know my struggles, I know my idols, and I, I, and I know that I'm like, man, these things are just right in front of me right now, and there's sometimes that I choose the wrong thing, and yet you love me? Like, what? It was an incredible moment between me and God of worship of I am loved in spite of the times that I make a poor choice. This Jesus is incredible. And because he loves him, he's going to speak truth. Love doesn't just say, hey, you know, I I love you and you're going in a destructive way, so just go on. I love you. No, love is going to step in and try to restrain. Love is going to step in and speak truth, and that's exactly what Jesus is going to do here. If you look here, he's, he's going to acknowledge what the real, real problem is, but let me just stop for a second. See, the real, real problem isn't just that the things of the earth don't satisfy. The real problem is this. You and I, all of us, we're created to have the one affection of our heart, boom, boom, be God himself. That's how we're created. That's the, to be the highest affection. That's to be the, the defining thing of who we are is God, is Jesus. That is the number one affection of our heart. That's what we are designed, that's how we're designed to function. And this man has had an idol come in. He has said, no, boom, boom, money. And because of that, he's not functioning properly. And when something doesn't have the the right functions, it's going to be dysfunctional. Kind of like an unleaded car when you put diesel in it. Not that I've ever done that before. But if you do, it doesn't work so well. Or a diesel car that you put unleaded, it doesn't work so well. It's designed to use a very specific fuel source. You and I, we are designed to have the highest affection of our heart be God himself. And Jesus knows that is the real problem. And so because that is the real problem, he speaks this truth that is maybe not easy to hear. So a young man just said, hey, all these things I've kept from my youth up. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. I hope you don't miss this. Your idol, boom, boom, money, 
get rid of it. Well, what's going to replace it? The affection of my heart, what's going to move in? Me. Come follow me, he says. Let go of this thing that's been defining you incorrectly that does not work. Come, spend time with me. Depend on me. Let me provide for you. Come, listen to me tell you who you really, really are. Find your significance from from what I say of who you are, not what the world says. He invites him into this close, intimate relationship. It's an incredible offer, an exchange, if you will. Let go of the very thing that you thought was going to give you life. Let go of that and just come on. Come with me. Come on. It's a beautiful thing. Incredibly beautiful thing. But what does he do? What's his response? What is all the desperation and struggle that he's gone through? All the social embarrassment of running, kneeling, and asking. What has that all led to? What kind of life transformation is it? Nil, nada, zippo. He didn't understand that Jesus is the most intriguing thing. He's the greatest thing that we could ever pursue. Instead, and this is, this is why it's so, so sad. Well, let's just read the text so we can all be depressed together. Verse 23. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. This is what makes this story so sad to me. Was the man rich before he came to talk to Jesus? Yes. Did the man know that that wealth, the power and position that he had, that it didn't work, that there was no life associated with it? Yeah. He knew that. That's why he's hanging out with Jesus, right? And so he knows this does not work. And this is what is so sad. He says, this does not work, and you're offering me something new. No. Instead, I'm going to choose to live in pursuit of something that I know will never satisfy. I mean, that is ridiculous. Jesus, I need help. These things, they don't satisfy. I know they don't satisfy. Only I satisfy. Come, lay them down and come after me. Jesus, but these things, they don't satisfy. I know. Please come follow me. Jesus, I know. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to choose to live in self-imposed poverty. I'm going to continue to spend all of my time, all of my resources, all of my energies. I'm going to just fling myself into, into either more money or more whatever it is where we're trying to find our identity other than Jesus. And before I get really mean on this guy, before I really like, oh, naughty, naughty, shame, shame, I have to stop. See, if I take you back again almost 20 years ago to that same apartment where I had the conversation with Jim, I was teaching tennis in the morning and the evening, and during the day I had a lot of free time. And with that free time, I was in between semesters of Bible school, and uh, so I just was like, man... God is awesome. And so I was just devouring God's word, books that the professors had asked me to read. I was reading over the summer. I'm like, this is amazing. I started trying to learn to play the guitar so I could start singing songs of praise to him. I'm like, I just, Jesus, you're incredible. And as this, these sweet moments in the afternoon would unfold, something weird unfolded. I started feeling like, man, there's like this, this distance that's growing. Like, we should be tight, Jesus, but there's something that's like, what's going on? I'm just not enjoying this as much. And so I just started praying, man, God, search my heart and see if there's anything in me that's hurtful, anything in me that's just not right. And it's crazy. I'm not going to say that God instantly spoke to me. I'm not going to say that, but I will say this is very interesting. I'm praying that, and then in my mind, boop, this question comes up, and the question is this. Hey, Todd, if you have to go and drive a junky car the rest of your life, 
but you know me in a more, in a more intimate way. Are you okay with that? And what surprised me wasn't so much the question, but how quickly I responded. And it was, no. Ooh, I mean, I had left a good job to go to Bible school, so certainly Jesus should be highly valued, and yet here I am, if I have to go through the rest of my life driving a junky car, but I get to know God in a more intimate way, am I okay with that? No, that was the real answer. It wasn't like, oh, yes. Again, we do that, do we not, in, in, in our, our settings? Oh, yes, Jesus is great. I would give everything up for him. We all say the right thing, but it's the real answer that matters. And I was amazed. Like, oh, my goodness, I value a car more than you. And I was even more amazed how long it took me to wrestle with that. About seven to ten days of just wrestling. Like, I just, it was just like, I don't know what's going on, although I know what's going on. I know that, it, that I have an idol of a car. I finally reached a place where I'm like, I'm just so desperate. Talking to God. God, if that's what you have for me, to drive a junkie car the rest of my life, but I get to know you in a more intimate way, okay. And you know what the most amazing thing is? Quickly in my head, another question came up. Todd, if you have to go through the rest of your life flipping burgers, wearing a hairnet, that's your job, but you know me in a more intimate way, are you okay with that? I'm like, wait, what? Jesus, you don't understand. Listen, you've given me a certain level of intelligence. You've given me a certain level of education. You've given me a hard work ethic. You've given me a personality. I mean, I can do stuff. That would not be a good allocation of your resources. Because I should tell him, right, how to use his resources. And so I'm like, no, of course I would not be okay with that. And I did have hair back then, a sweet mullet. It was amazing. Um, but I, he's just, if you go through the rest of your life, having a job that's less than what you think you should have, but you know me in a more intimate way, are you okay with that? And my answer was no. Not one I struggled with for a lot longer. About a month later, again, just this, distance it's like yeah you know my god if that's where if that's how you want to spend my life then that's how you want to spend my life and then great hey todd if you go through the rest of your life single no good friends i'll provide you some seasonal friends from time to time but really no tight community but you know me in a more intimate way are you okay with that i had a very strong response to that no and that was months and months and months of wrestling. Until one day, I was hurt by somebody else. They were supposed to meet me, and they forgot for the seventh, eighth, ninth time. And I just was sitting there. I was just miserable at Bible school. Nobody knew it, you know, because, again, we all get the right, oh, yes, Jesus is great. I would give anything for him. And yet on the inside, I was just hurting because I knew that I longed for either marriage or I longed for close relationships more than enjoying who Jesus is. I knew it. And I was struggling with it. And then finally I was met face to face and I just realized, you know what, God? I, you know I don't desire that. You know I don't desire to go through life single. You know I don't desire to go through life without good, close community. But if for some reason that's how you want to spend my life and you're guaranteeing that I get to know you in a more intimate way, then okay. You know what's interesting to me? About six months after that, I was on a plane going to work at a church in the UK. I had no idea how much money I was going to be making, but I got to drive what's called the Barney Mobile. It was a purple jo- uh, a car that had had an electrical fire, and so like the lights didn't always work. It had an egg-shaped tire. I mean, it was just a junker. It was my car. And um, I was a youth intern, and I got paid like 100 bucks a month, and not the job title that I had hoped to have. And I was far away from everybody that I knew. 
I was in a church with a bunch of people who were the age I am right now, taking care of their kids, but it was an expat church, so there weren't a whole lot of young adults around, and I just had to laugh and smile a little bit and say, God, how good you are. (laughs) You cleared it with me before you ever sent me. Incredible. You made sure that these idols were removed, and I wish I could tell you that they were all gone and never struggled with them again, but that's just not the case. Thankfully, God has led me to an incredible wife, Aaron, and, and he's allowed me that, and man, I treasure that gift. It's so incredible. But, but coming back to the story, I can identify with this guy. When he sits there and says, no, I have my money here. That's where I've been finding my identity. And he knows that it doesn't work. And he goes back and he says, I'm going to hang on to it. I don't just shame, shame, shame on him. I understand because I too at times have done that. I would venture to guess that in this room, I'm not the only one who has done that. So now we're all depressed. Thanks, Luke. And he's sneaky, I think. Because he doesn't want us to stay depressed. You know, he doesn't want us to say like, hey, if you have a, an idol in our lives, that's such a strong word that offends us so many times, but it shouldn't. I mean, it's just the reality. If we have something that we're, we think will complete us or give us significance or, or value more than who Jesus is, it's an idol. And so if we only read this far in Luke, we're like, okay, I guess if I have an idol, then I'm hosed. I can't get rid of it. But it's incredible. He gives us a story of another incredibly wealthy man. He's a little man. He's a wee little man indeed. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You guys know that. You know the story, right? Zacchaeus. It's incredible. And he climbs a tree. Again, an undignified thing to do to glimpse at Jesus. And Jesus, the Savior, passes by. He looks up in the tree. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. For I'm coming to your house today. I want to enjoy fellowship with you. I'm inviting you into close proximity with me. I want to talk with you. I want to share with you all the wonderful things about who God is and who you are in him. And what does he do? He says, oh, no, I've got my money. He says, awesome. That is so cool. And he comes down and he gives, Lord, I'll give half of what I have away. And if I've wronged anybody, I'll pay him back four times. It's an incredible story. But what's the difference between the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus? The rich young ruler was only looking at what it would cost him to follow Jesus. While Zacchaeus was only looking at what he would gain, a closer relationship with Jesus. Where are you? When you think about what God is doing in your life, do you only see what it's going to cost? Or do you see what you would gain? God is always wooing us into a deeper and greater relationship with him. And it's also interesting this, this rich young ruler who has power, who has money, who has authority over people. What's his name? I don't know. But here we are many years later, and we know who Zacchaeus is. The man who said, I will look to see Jesus at what I can gain, not what it's going to cost me. Kind of flowing through these things here. There was rejection is what he did, and yet there's still hope. The rich young ruler only saw the cost of following Jesus. Zacchaeus looked at what he gained. Well, one of the things we do at, at Junction on Thursday nights is that we always have a little challenge. And so as I get ready to issue the challenge, uh, we're having communion today, which is really awesome. And so if you're part of that, to prepare for that, I ask you to, to head back at this time. Um, we looked at the man, his problems, the solution, the response, but here's the challenge. Think about this, the things of the world. If it, don't, what's the real answer? Take some time this week. Take a walk. What's the real answer? Are we pursuing our identity and finding our significance in the things of the earth, things of the world? Or are we looking at what we can gain in Jesus? Wrestle with that. 
The truth will set you free. Somebody awesome said that, I think. Um, cost or gain, how do you view it? How do you view that? I know I'm challenging you to do that throughout the week, but this morning, again, we have this space for time to reflect as we get ready to celebrate communion. We get ready to celebrate all that Jesus has done for us. And so as the men come forward to distribute the, uh, the elements, I just want to encourage us to spend some time reflecting on how incredible Jesus is, what he has given you. And I want to encourage you to remind you, hold the elements, we'll take them together in just a few moments. We have an incredible God. Remember, he is God. He's never too busy for us. He loves us passionately. When we meet those people, and if we're one of those people, but when we meet people who are discouraged by, the, by chasing the things of the earth and not finding hope in them, we have hope to offer in Jesus Christ. Paul, he's talking about communion in the book of 1 Corinthians. He, he writes, The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Mighty God, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you are greater than anything that we can pursue in this earth. Lord, I pray that you would would continue to work in my life, continue to woo me and move me towards a place where I'm like, yes, those idols would never be a temptation for me, Lord, but when they are, remind me of the fact that you are God, that you love, and you always have time. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.